We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRudgood.com. Still time to sign up now and get all of my premium content for the PGA Championship. That includes a very extensive course preview and deep dive into Oak Hill, uh, a golf course that I have some very intimate knowledge of. Uh, also, my final DraftKings uh final thoughts article where I will go through all of the weather, uh, all of my core plays, all of the latest ownership projections. We're recording this, uh, the podcast that you're listening to right now on a Tuesday morning. Um, so ownership is starting to settle, but by Wednesday morning, you'll get that extra, you know, final ownership. A lot of people will build lineups Tuesday night. A lot more content will come out today. We'll really start to get a sense of that kind of final where things are headed in that Wednesday morning article. So be sure to check that out before you set any of your lineups, plus all of the extra tools and projections and uh, model building generators, everything that lineup generators, all that stuff, ownership projections from CAV. Um Everything that you need on rickrungood.com, largest fantasy focus and DraftKings statistical golf database on the internet has absolutely everything you need. We have strokes gained from majors. We have live results on player profile pages, Corn Ferry Tour uh, finishes and results, DP World Tour finishes results and strokes gained from DP World Tour as well. It is the place to go if you are betting and playing DraftKings for the PGA Championship, which I know many of you that are listening to this podcast are. So if you haven't signed up already, I highly encourage you to do so using promo code Andy. You can type that in in the coupon code section. That is a big help to me, um, especially in a week like this. Uh, so head on over to rickrengood.com dash Andy. We would love to have you as part of the team. All right. Coming up on this podcast, uh, an annual major tradition, always one of my favorite episodes to record of the season. It is me and Kobe DuBose breaking down the DraftKings slate for the PGA Championship at Oak Hill. What do you know? Talking a little more Oak Hill and PGA DraftKings. 
Um, final one of the week for me. It's been a it's been a long one. It's been a long, you know, these majors, the content cycle now for majors, it's always like a race to get out, get out everything as early as possible. That, you know, major week, those three days leading into a major kind of turns into like a 10 day content cycle because now everyone's putting stuff out the week before. Um, no one really cares about the tournament the week prior to a major. So it's been a long couple of days. I'm headed to Oak Hill on Thursday morning. Um, incredibly excited for that. If you're in the area, if you're going to the PGA championship, let me know, come say hi. I'll be there all Friday and Saturday. Um, and it should be a fun one. I'm, uh, I'm about as excited for this major championship as I have been, uh, gosh, that I can honestly remember. Uh, and I feel great about, you know, almost too great about, uh, my predictions and my picks. Uh, (laughs) so we know how that always seems to turn out, but without further ado, uh, let us go to myself and Kobe's full breakdown of the entire DraftKings slate. Here we go. All right. Kobe Dubose is here. We're back for another major championship, second major championship of the year. It's a special one for me. Um, I have spoken extensively about Oak Hill, what this major means to me over the past 10 days or so. I'm really curious where you're at. We haven't talked as much as we usually do leading into a major in terms of what your thoughts are on this golf course, how you're feeling about this tournament. So I'm curious, man, and 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 thank you so much for joining me. I know you're at a wedding this week, so uh, always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, happy to be here. This is kind of our one-year anniversary. We started doing this last it year. Is. Um, yeah, so this has been a, been a good run. I'm here in North Carolina. I'm going to watch the golf probably from the beach and or a hot tub all week. So I've got a good setup. I've been digesting as much content as I can to learn about this golf course i've appreciated your thoughts on it even going back to december and obviously there's been a lot of really good content so i've i've been trying to learn as much as i can about oak hill i'm excited i love a good restoration i love a good classic golf course i love kind of something new when other people don't really seem to know what's going on i think that's where you can thrive if you know a little bit about golf course architecture and and others don't i'm pretty interested to see how these guys handle this. I, I like a, a test with some good thick rough and some deep bunkers and some just hazards. You know, some, when I think about golf tournaments, I'm like, if I need a guy to make up a shot. Sometimes it's hard when you've got no hazards anywhere. I'm like, how is anybody going to make a bogey coming in? But it looks like there's bogeys everywhere to be made and birdies on this golf course. If, if you're playing great, but a lot of bogeys to be made, if you're not playing good. So I think we're going to see one of those leaderboards that just separates itself, which is it's my kind of tournament. There's less bad takes than I was anticipating. These Oak Hill episodes have been my my most listened to ever, so maybe I'm partially responsible for that. I think the fried eggs stuff has been excellent. I'm sure they're very responsible for that. Golf Digest with all the videos they've put out as well. But I'm not getting the um, the Jason Duffner 2013 Let's Play Brian Harmon takes that I was maybe anticipating. It seems like there's a general consensus around the industry that has ownership in a position where pretty spread out. I mean, it's not like there's nothing disgusting in the 7K range. 
nothing really disgusting at the top where everything's conglomerating, consolidating around one single player. And I think that's good, right? You know, I always love opportunities when I think that I'm really off market and really off industry. But I think it's a situation where you kind of find your small edges. And and I certainly have a couple of guys that I really like that I'm way higher on than consensus. But it seems like people do understand this golf course in the way that probably you and I do. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much of that is just in our little bubble. I did listen to Gary Williams. I think he had Brendan Dion on and then mm-hmm. uh, Johnson Wagner, who I think knows a little more, but you know, Brendan Young was like, oh, this is a ball strikers course. So Jim Furyk, it's a, you know, <laughs> it's a Jimson Duffner. They've taken out some trees, but I think it's kind of the same thing. So I heard, I did hear that take and that's more sort of mainstream golf versus, um, you know, what we, we get in the fantasy world. Although it feels like golf channel and live from has been um, on point a little bit. So I agree with you. I think people understand this better than maybe they did Southern Hills last year, mm. um, which you know, not great for us, but that's okay. There's still some unknowns about this place. And I still think even though people can say the right things when it comes down to sort of constructing the right lineups, I don't know that there's like a full understanding when they don't have course history to go on and things like that. I think folks can sometimes get a little bit of field uh, in a tournament like this. So we'll see. The top range here, there's five guys over 10 K Rom is 11-4, Scheffler's 11-2, Rory's 10-7, Morikawa's 10-3, and Brooks is 10-1. What are your initial impressions at the top uh, in terms of ownership, in terms of the players that you like? Let's talk about ownership a little bit first. Where where do you see where do you see it going at the very top, you know, 10K and above? So I think it seems obvious to me that Morikawa is a little bit overpriced just yeah send to Shopley and Cantley and even be now um you know I, I think if you had placed Morikawa at I don't know 9400 would anybody have said oh that's weird I don't think so I think he would have no. fit right in there in the mid nines so I think he's a little overpriced what does that mean usually he's going to mean lower ownership um so he will be the forgotten man particularly as the kind of bomber narrative takes hold. I think people have some concerns about a short game um, and all those things are kind of materializing in the course review. So I think obviously Morikawa will, will be the value play from an ownership perspective um, and maybe particularly in high stakes. I mean, I could see him coming in at two, 3% because um, that's just the way it goes there. I think Scheffler, I'm not going to say this shine is off. Um, yeah. If you have watched enough of Scheffler here recently, you've, Kind of said, I think before the Masters, I said, what's his path to not dominating this tournament? I said, it's just like a where he gets the slumpy shoulders and the putter's not going and he's missing putts and he's just kind of blah. Well, that's what happened at the Masters. Um, and somehow that kind of happened at the Byron Nelson. Missing short putts and he's just something's just a little off there. Um, but obviously his floor is so high. But I could see Scheffler coming in, um, not under own, but certainly less than Rom. I do think people are going to, um, go to Rom pretty hardcore. Uh, Rory is obviously the interesting question here. Um, huh. I mean, what do, you, what do you do with Rory, right? I mean, I think people don't want to play him. Uh, I think he he could be a guy that 
kind of comes in a little lower than even what he's projected right now, because I think the way that folks are going to do this, they're either going to go up to ROM and they're going to jam up top um, and then think that they're going to get some good value, you know, in the Jason Day, Matsuyama, Hatton, Fitzpatrick part of this board, or they're going to go down to Kepka. I could see a lot more lineups starting with Kepka, Shopley, or Cantlay. I mean, those, and the projections on Kepka are kind of all over the place, but yeah. those three guys, you can see a lot of guys starting their lineups there and then really living and eating in the low nines and high eights. So I do think you're probably going to see Rom eat up all the ownership up top. Scheffler and Rory come in a little less on um, than even people think. Morikawa go almost entirely um, neglected. And then Kepka, Shopley, and Cantley just sort of take up all the ownership there. If I told you, this is how I see it now. If I told you Rom 22... Scheffler 18, Rory 13, Brooks 13, Morikawa 8. Do you have any strong disagreements for that? That I'll say that's for the $25 million maker. Sounds about right. Um, I, I, can I think see- so, right? Yeah, I think Brooks and Rory between 12 and 14%, like they're not sneaking up on anyone. It seems like Brooks is, Brooks is a popular betting pick right? Like there's, um, you know, golf digest put out their 13 best bets to win the tournament. Brooks is number one, some of the ESPN stuff and bleacher report stuff. Some of the more, you know, mainstream stuff that I think we both have a little bit less respect for than even some of the stuff that is in our kind of Twitter bubble. But I, you know, I, I think that just the way it shakes out with the sentiment around Rom and chef are still being in a tier of their own. I still don't think that Rory, I still think Rory and Brooks both come in a healthy five percentage points lower than Scheffler and Rom. I think so too. I think that's right. Um, Brooks is interesting to me uh, just because such a price jump over the last major, but there's so much an overreaction. It's prisoner of the moment. Such a, I'm taking D if you're, if you're giving me DJ Brooks matchup, straight up i take dj yeah i think so too you too I'm, i mean I'm that's a considerable up. hot take considering brooks is 18 to 1 and dj's 30 and there's 1300 dollars difference between the two of them well i think they're at least equivalent players i think we're it's been a while since the dj or since the brooks pga dominations i mean beth page feels recent really not that recent. I know people have kind of hand waved this away. I love Steve Bamford. Don't get me wrong. One of my favorite podcasts that you do will be with him, but it was almost like hand waving away the years between Beth Page and now with the idea that he was injured. Well, he was injured some of that time. Other yeah. times wasn't good. Uh, right? you, and, you, you're referring to the fact that he's been a total bitch in every single final round of a major he's played in for the past four years. Is that what you're referring to? <laughs> pretty much. And including this masters and obviously the ROM ticket holder with you. Um, you know, I watched pretty much every shot that Brooks hit. I was never track. scared. Right. Well, he was like, is he going to keep making these 11 footers for par? Cause if he is, you know, there was a lot of that in what Brooks did in the masters the last couple of days. He was, hanging on by a thread and Sunday wasn't a huge surprise because if a few of those, you know, mid range par putts don't go down, then he's, he's there on Saturday as well. He's, he's falling on Saturday. So, you know, to me, particularly the masters being a place where guys without form can find it, 
you know, that that's kind of what the Masters is all about. Of course, history, you know, there's it's a really nice place for him. I don't know that that necessary, necessarily carries over to a place like Oak Hill in a PGA Championship when, you know, I, I don't think he's that guy anymore that just shows up and dominates the major. I think that people are kind of, I think they're being drawn in a little bit too much by Shinnecock five years ago, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think you nailed it with the overreaction piece. I just think if we're looking at this from a numbers perspective and we want to play the percentages and the odds and we want to look at every single player that is surrounding Brooks and pricing, Rom, Scheffler, Rory, even Morikawa, certainly Xander, certainly Cantlay, certainly Finau, certainly JT. Every single player that's surrounding Brooks on on the pricing has what close to fifty solid, impressive, data driven, data backed rounds over the last two years on tough golf courses in strong fields that indicate that they are a top 10 golfer in the world right now. I mean, two years of evidence, 50 rounds of evidence, at least on all these other eight guys. And I mean, no shots to crooked cat as a comp to Oak Hill, but you know, we have three good rounds of golf data backed, good rounds of golf from Brooks Kepka in the last two years, three. I mean, the first three of the masters, depending on how you feel about, Crooked cat, I'll give you seven, maybe. But I, I just and that's why I took all the action on Brooks Rory, because it's like, well, first of all, they're gonna be matched up next to each other in matchups. And because Brooks is 18 to one and Rory's between eleven and fourteen to one, Brooks is gonna be a plus one twenty-five, plus one thirty underdog minimum. Sure. And so you want to bet me at even money? Sure. I'll play those percentages all day. So I just think like if you're telling me we'll do the thing where we say one guy in each range we're absolutely in on, one guy we're absolutely out on, I've crossed off Brooks and I have, I don't think I'm playing Rom and Scheffler. I think I'm playing Rory and Morikawa. And I think that's a fun start. Um, and we'll talk about the nines because there's a couple guys in the mid nines that I really love too. But like of this range for me, I don't even know if we need to launch into a whole Rory thing again. But for me, if you're asking me one guy I'm in on, one guy I'm out, it's Rory and Brooks out for me. Yeah, I was prepared to be off of Rory this week, but it's gone too far. It's a pendulum thing again. Like yeah. I give me 13 or 14 to one, you're going to give me him at, you know, 10% ownership at a price discount. Okay. Cause to me, I try to think about what, what does it look like to win this tournament? What are the ways you can win this tournament? I think there's a few ways. One way, it, I think somebody, if they have an absolutely dominant week with the driver and are hitting it straight, you know, and hit a lot of fairways, hitting it long, can run away with this tournament. You know, if, if you get one of these top three guys that's hitting 70, 80% of their fairways hitting as far as they do, they're going to win. Um, that's one way to do it. I mean, obviously, getting up and down a lot out of the bunkers is another way to do it. I like Rory's short game. Um, and I think just looking at what kind of tournament it's going to be, I mean, I don't know where you are on a final winning score, but what, somewhere between five, six, Minus seven, eight. Five. You know, we talked about this last night on the Golf Gambling Podcast. 
The over-under of winning score minus 10, I really like that under. And I usually don't like prop bets like that stuff, but I think the books are off on that one. This is, as somebody who's played Oak Hill and Southern Hills, this is an objectively harder golf course than Southern Hills. I mean, way more long irons, smaller greens, more narrow fairways, thicker rough. Colder, tougher conditions. Colder. It's just, it's a harder golf course than Southern Hills. And if Southern Hills is one at minus five under par, even if somebody goes bonkers, it's probably a situation where maybe somebody wins at eight or nine under par, but they're probably winning by four or five strokes. In my opinion, this is, you know, this is a tournament where six or seven guys max finish under par. I mean, even previous PGAs here and the course has gotten harder. You know, you're getting one or two guys finishing under par back in, you know, all the Trevino and Nicholas years too. Yeah, I think so. That's where I see it. And I think a little bit about Rory and what kind of tournament um, sort of benefits him and the anxiety we see with Rory when he's not making birdies and other guys are, that gets him a little bit. It happens at the Masters, right? When somebody's gone out and posted a minus six or minus seven, and all of a sudden he's even through four, he kind of, he presses, he freaks out a little bit. Um, and I don't love Rory and Birdie Fest anymore. I think with his short game, I like him more in a tournament where he doesn't have to feel like he's got to go make every putt and he doesn't get that sort of early round anxiety. Oh my God, I'm already six back. Right. Kind of just chill. And he played pretty well last year at the US Open. You know, when right. he was just and, and, and to your point, that final round that he plays at St. Andrews on this golf course, that style of golf in the final round with a two or three stroke lead wins. Hitting it to 25 feet and burning every edge. Like right. that was the problem at St. Andrews, right? He needed to make birdies. He needed to go low. He was hitting it fine. He hit every green. Um, it just wasn't, you know, the putts weren't falling. I, I like him better in those scenarios. So, you know, pendulum swinging, tough golf course. I'm on Rory. I was prepared not to be, but you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to move that far off of him. I think it's just an overreaction again. I think people get too crazy about form. If he goes out, it, all it takes is one round for him. Um, I always say that, but it, it really is true. These guys aren't that far off. Like Rory's not like your average weekend golfer who's lost his swing. We're talking the margins are very thin between him playing really, really great golf and you know playing bad golf, frankly. And because his his window of good golf to bad golf is very tight and narrow. It's not he's not turning into Stephen Bonich, right? Even right. when he's playing bad. So that's where I am at the top of the board. I just get a little frustrated with the you know. I think once a narrative takes hold, you know, and this one being Rory has this mental block at majors. I mean, the guy played better in majors last year. He gained more strokes in majors last year than any single player on the planet. He didn't finish outside the top eight. And, you know, there's this, um, there seems to be this prevailing thought that like Brooks is this big dicked mental giant how about the fact that he's talking about how he's openly admitting that he's only going to live because he never knew if he was going to be good at golf again. The dude has Netflix cameras in front of him while he's basically crying in Jenna's arms about how he doesn't know if he's good enough to ever beat Scotty Scheffler again. And Rory gets all the shit for this stuff when they both won the same amount of majors in the last five years. So I just, I, I, I think that I think it's a lot closer with with these guys at the top in terms of like skill set i haven't even talked about rory's fit on this course but rory's a better rory is better bunker player than Raman scheffler he's just as good as a long iron player as both of those guys better long iron player than scheffler um 
And so I, I to me, Scheffler being now half the odds as him and Rom and Scheffler being $500 and $700 more expensive and at least minimum 5% of points, ownership points higher than him. I'm there all day. What do you think about um, last thing on Rory and then we'll put a bow on the 10K. Did you see, did you catch the the presser this morning? Did you see the, you know, Tiger came over to my house and we talked for five hours about my swing? I did. Watched it. Um, he was, it was a little bit different Rory than we normally see. He obviously wasn't going to go anywhere close to any sort of meta golf topic at all. Literally right. to the point not answering, like just looking at a reporter who asked him a question and going, you know, which is weird for him, right? Normally he gives some sort of diplomatic non-answer. Right. Even when he doesn't answer. Maybe he's taking a card out of the Brooks playbook a little bit. <laughs> Honestly, it was a little bit, um, I won't call it sharp or harsh, but you know, he had no patience for that. And I clearly that everything with Rory, I think is a strategy. Clearly went into that saying, I'm not going to say a word about anything that's not golf or anything that's not specific to my game. Whether that's good or not, I don't know. It's hard to get into the mind of Rory. Like I've seen him, uh, I've seen him approach pressers totally wrong and just be all out there. You know, coming into the players, I've seen him try different things. It's hard to pin down what that means, but you know, it, it looks like he's in an okay place. I think it looks like he's very much not trying to put any pressure on himself. You know, he's talking about, oh, I never really, I don't play much around here, which I think is not true. I think he's certainly seen the golf course some definitely uh, more than anyone else. That's, that's the thing too. It's like, at least we know Rory was there and has been there before multiple times during COVID. And the other thing about this was, I thought was a good take by, they talked about this on the fried egg, but in terms of the preparation at Oak Hill for most of the players, I mean, this has been, when has anyone else been able to go to Rochester? So I'm not saying that Rory, knows Oak Hill like the back of his hand and he's logged 50 rounds there. But even if he's logged three, which I know he has, that's three more than anybody has played. I mean, Brooks, all these guys, Rom, Scheffler, all these guys have said they've never, when are they going to Rochester in the last year? I mean, find me the time when I played one of the final rounds at the course before they shut it down for the winter at the beginning of September. And when, none of these guys have seen the course at all, which I think adds a, an interesting angle of it. So I don't think anyone, you know, the Rory Rochester zone, obviously a bit of a bit gets overblown, certainly. But none of these guys, I mean, it's kind of cool in a way because it 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 creates a, you know, this is really just a test of who's playing the best golf. And I think Oak Hill does that. Sure. But I, but I think it's I think it's a clean slate for all these guys and even some of the words I've heard from the grounds coming off of some of the people that have been there for the practice rounds everyone's like yeah this is this is interesting this is new I didn't expect the rough to be like this I didn't expect JT's talking about different lengths of blades of grass that he's never seen before Max Homa's right off the edge of a green hitting five irons I mean I think it's just the playing field is leveled. And I think it's just the guy who's, you know, has the best skill set for this type of golf course, you know, is is gonna, like you said at the very beginning, separation, right? Separation at the top of the leaderboard from the best and the worst. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I I think we're gonna see pretty quickly. It's gonna be one of those where you're gonna click on the leaderboard on Thursday morning and you're gonna have uh, hopefully not your guys, but some guys are gonna be plus five. And you're going to go, oh my God, this dude's ejecting like US Open style. I think we're going to yeah. see a lot of that 
you know, cold it is going to be in the mornings, you're going to see some dudes just take themselves out of this tournament. And it's a bit like a NASCAR race. Just You're just hoping your guys can avoid the carnage, don't get caught up in the big wreck, and we'll see who's there uh, on Sunday. Let's talk 9K range. What are your thoughts here ownership-wise? And then we'll talk about one guy we love and one guy we hate. But give me your, at a bird's eye view, ownership perspective on the 9K. Sure. I mean, I think Xander is going to be massively owned. Um, Agreed. 20%. Yeah, at least. I think you could see him higher, the higher stakes you go. Um, He's at a weird price, though, because it's pretty hard. I mean, if not impossible to jam Rom and Xander, and you're going to get real sparse at the bottom if you do that. You can build some Rory Xander lineups that are interesting. But I do think there's going to be a lot of people that start with Xander and try to go more balanced. That's the issue with Xander is he's going to be he could be second man in on a Brooks lineup. You know, he could be second man in on a Rory lineup. Uh, and then he'll be first man in on, on quite a few lineups. So I think he's going to be over-owned, which, I, I mean, I probably won't have him in DK. I bet him at 30 to 1. I bet him 30 to 1 last week. And that Not number at, is now like 16 to 1. So I moved it. When I bet it, it went immediately to 22 to 1. And I was shocked. I mean, it was a huge movement off of that. And then. It's only collapsed ever since, but I'd like to have some of him. Hopefully, if we see any of these ownership numbers trend down, I might have a piece, but it's just so over-owned. Um, I think Cantlay, him and Cantlay may eat up a little bit of each other's ownership. I could see that. I think uh, Shockley will be a little bit higher on than Cantlay. Spieth is, you know, all questions. I, I guess he'll he'll be very news-dependent over the next two days and what we hear come out. Not, at, hear o- not at Oak Hill on Monday. Yeah, I mean, I... We were hearing different things, right? Like Colt Nose said on, I think, some podcast that I was listening to maybe that, um, you know, Spieth would have been playing that week if it were the PGA, but I don't know how true that is. It almost felt like he was covering for Spieth a little bit. Yeah. How about the fact that AT&T is his biggest sponsor and it's in his hometown? Yeah, no, exactly. I do think, I mean, I think if you were Spieth and you really didn't want to play that event, and you were really just trying to prepare for the PGA and you were feeling a little bit bad, then it'd be very easy to make up a, not a fake injury, but kind of yeah. overemphasize some soreness. But could I mean, be a chest not checkers situation getting out of the bunny ranch. That's right. But if that were the case, you'd expect him to be there at the PGA. <laughs> you know, I think he's legitimately, there's something a little wrong with him, and I don't love his fit. I, I think his ownership will, will be very, very low. Four percent. Yeah, less than that in some of the higher stakes, maybe. Uh, Finau is a little bit of a weird fit um, in terms of how he, what lineups he could be constructed with. He could be second man in on a lot of the Xander lineups, but I do think he'll be very popular, um, which is a shame because I like him. I think he has a Me too. potential to be up in the 20, 25 range, um, which sometimes happens with Finau, just kind of out of nowhere. The young, the, the Camerons are interesting along with JT. I think the low nines is somebody from this low nine range is going to be at the top of the board, maybe not winning, but he's going to be up there at the end, figuring out which one uh, could help you win this. You know, I'm partial to the Camerons. I think they're going to come in a little bit lower owned. I think there's been a bit of a pendulum swing on Cameron Young as well. Where he, I thought he was going to be so popular and now yeah. people are kind of on him. I still think he's, he's the same kind of guy he was. He still played well at the Masters, even when he wasn't. Uh, it hasn't been in the best form. And I think Cam Smith, I think he probably comes in lower than the rest of these dudes, but mm-hmm. um, I kind of like him. So 
I'm real interested to see some of these popping um, ownership numbers on Sung JM. I was curious to see how people would deal with him, you know, with his travel and his kind of weird schedule. But there's there's kind of competing narratives on Sung Jae that this is a good fit, and obviously he's playing well, and the price is pretty low, frankly, uh, for him given given his form. But also he's got some things working against him, so I could see I could see Sung Jae coming in a little lower than his ownership projections have him right now. Yeah, so I have. I just think with the way that Rom and Scheffler are going to be, I actually don't think that anybody else outside of Xander is going to be able to get to 18, 19%. So I have Xander at like 20, 21. I actually have Cantlay at like 15, 16, which I'm going to play if that's the case. Finau at six, 15, 16. And then, you know, I actually think Justin Thomas is going to be right there. I think Cantlay, Finau, and JT are going to be pretty close. Like, I do think that there's enough. Justin Thomas, he's been playing better. He's been hitting the ball better. He's won two PGA championships. He obviously is the defending champion at Southern Hills. Like, I, I, I think JT is still going to be in the 15-ish zone with Finau and Cantlay. And then Sungjae and Hovland, probably 12, 11, 11, 12. And then Cam Young, 9 or 10. And Cam Smith, 8 or 9. I think that's um, about right. That sound, does, that, does that sound about right to you? If I gave you those, and Spieth, 4 or 5, if I gave you those numbers, who would you give me as one guy absolutely in on? And one guy, 0% chance you're going to have. I'm pretty much absolutely in on Cameron Young, I think, at those numbers. Um, okay. Home game models. <laughs> yeah, right. And the those one numbers thing are- I'll say, the one thing I'll say that annoyed me is that people were saying, I heard, I heard that he grew up on a similar golf course to Oak Hill. Excuse me. He grew up on a CB McDonald golf course. He grew up at Sleepy Hollow. That is nothing like the golf course that he's going to be playing at Oak Hill. So we've stretched it from he grew up five hours away from Oak Hill. So let's claim him as Rochester's own to he grew up playing a comp course to Oak Hill, which is he grew up playing a CB McDonald golf course. Um, so that is my one, <laughs> that, that is my one frustration with the Cameron Young narrative this week. What will they think of next? You know, <laughs> well, I, I, uh, in this range, I think if you told me JT was going to end up coming in, in that 15% range, kind of right there with Cantlay and Finau, I would probably be out on JT just because I think he, not that I don't think he can play well, but he's got a fairly wide range of outcomes in my view. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously we saw it kind of wilt at the Masters under um, really the conditions, kind of blew him out of the Masters. But I think he, on a golf course like this, I could see a scenario where he uh, kind of takes himself out of it. Um, just through some big mistakes because that's kind of his uh, his bugaboo. So I'd probably be out on JT at those numbers. He didn't play particularly well at US Open last year. I mean, he finished 37. It's just on kind of northeastern tough golf courses with a lot of rough. I just have this image in my head of JT kind of missing fairways all day and kind of playing 20, 30 yards behind other guys and 
just struggling. And really, I mean, I could his short game was good enough that he could keep himself in it. But I think you could see a scenario where JT's week is kind of a grind. So I'd be out on him. I'm going to say I'm in on 15% Cantlay. Um, and I get weird enough down the board that I think there's a very good chance that like my $200 single entry is a Rory Cantlay start. And I feel pretty good about that with the options that I still have. There actually is like a really 8K heavy lineup that I love as well that I might use in some of my higher stakes single entries and and stuff like that. But I think that can't that couple quick things on Cantlay. I think Pendulum has too swung too far with the narrative around him in majors. I think that it is unfair to put Cantlay's major performance in the same bucket as a Max Homa or a Sam Burns. Cantlay's like made like 21 of 24 major cuts. He's finished in the top 15 in his last three majors. It's not great for the player that he is. If we're talking about him as a top five guy in the world, which I think he's the fourth best golfer in the world right now, but you know, it's not like the guy hasn't been consistently showing up in the top 20, top 15 of these events. And he's too good. He's too good. He's going to get one soon. Obviously there's something about him on bent grass that there's this extra upside thing with him that I feel like is possible on bent grass where we have all this evidence of him going like unconscious on the style of Northeastern traditional classical bent grass golf courses with bluegrass rough and kind of the same agronomy that we're getting at Oak Hill. Obviously the past two BMW championships that he won easier than Oak Hill, certainly, but the guy still has the best. The guy still is pound for pound, the best bent grass putter in the world. He's pound for pound, the best putter of all the elite players. I think if you're asking me who's more likely to top seven, maybe it's Xander, but I think Cantlay's like on my top three short list of like, this might be it where he does it. So Cantlay, I would say I'm in on, and I, I think I'd go Cam Smith and it's not even a live thing because you'll see, I am super heavy on some live guys as we get down the board. He is still, you know, and I know that all I'm looking at here still are like the most rudimentary live stats, but he's still the worst driver of the ball of any player above 9k and it's not particularly close he's still maybe the worst long iron player of anybody above 9k and it's not particularly close and you know the pendulum again probably too far in one direction where like it you can just completely spray it all over the planet yeah you can completely spray it all over the planet if you're really long and hitting nine irons out of the rough to some of these greens. If you're short and inaccurate, I think you're fucking dead on this golf course. So I don't see a scenario where Cam Smith has an easy week. Of course, he can gain seven strokes putting and still top five, but his roadmap from a ball striking standpoint is far more difficult on this golf course than anybody above 9K. Any closing thoughts on the nines before we do do the eights? 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You know, just on Cam Smith, I had him last year uh, pretty heavy at Southern Hills. Oh. And it was the one place he didn't putt. I mean, he, he hit the ball great. Ball striking clinic last year. Yeah. But he that's an everything. easier, wider fairways at Southern Hills, shorter rough. Yeah. And as we talked about last year, you know, Southern Hills put a lot of short irons in your hand, which is why yes. we saw JT. In. And it's just a different, similar sort of kind of looks the same on some level. Very green. You got creeks running, the, you know, the sort of classical greens, but an entirely different sort of arrangement of the holes and where the shots are going to be coming from. And I think the rough here is going to be more penal uh, than it was last year at Southern Hills, a little bit more penal. Um, so I don't love this, this setup for him. Um, and not, I mean, as we heard from JT, we're going to have balls running into thicker grass sometimes rather than always mm-hmm. staying in short grass around the greens. I know there will be a lot of short grass, but um, JT seemed to think balls are going to be bounding into the rough. If that ends up being true, which it may or may not, I'm not sure I trust JT on that. Uh, then a little bit of Cam Smith's sort of short game, short grass advantage is mitigated. Um, so I can see myself, if ownership ends up dipping too much, I could take a flyer on him. But at his price, I hate a nine, what, $9,200, $9,300 flyer is a tough thing to swallow, you know, because he's got to play really, really well. And he's got to make a ton of birdies to sort of outplay um, where I think he's going to finish. And I don't know if that's in the cards for him. So the 8K range. Do you see anybody sticking out to you? Who's the highest owned player in the 8K range? Fitz? 
probably fits. I know some sites project Hatton a little higher. Yeah, I think, saw that too. I think, Interesting. I think there's a groundswell of momentum for Fitz. Um, I mean, Jason Day obviously could come in a little higher owned as well, depending on kind of what people do with his latest performance. But I think there's a there's sort of a longer term groundswell for Fitz. And I'll tell you, when I first looked at this board, my first thought was Fitzpatrick, like lock, flick. Mm-hmm. Love sort of him on these courses. You know, get him in the Northeast and blah, blah, blah. Plays well at the country club. I think he played pretty well at Bethpage, too, if I'm not mistaken, um, mm-hmm. before he really became himself. Uh, and he's just a grinder, right? If you're going to give me a tournament that's one at minus five, you can just see a scenario where Fitzpatrick's making that 11-footer for par to stay at minus one on Saturday. Like You can see that popping up on your screen right now, and you're not surprised. So I liked him, particularly that price. But what does that mean? Well, it means everybody else is, too. Uh, and I don't know if I want to be on the 20%, $8,400 Matt Fitzpatrick uh, train this weekend. So I do think he'll be the highest on. Manhattan may be falling close behind, although I'm not sure where that's coming from, to be quite honest with you. It's not like Hatton's been playing poorly, but that did surprise me as well. I mean, if you just asked me before any of the projections came out, even with the $400 price difference, who would be higher owned at a PGA championship, Jason Day coming off a win or Terrell Hatton, I would have given you Jason Day 10 times out of 10. I also thought that DJ would be higher and Homa would be higher. And I find myself in a scenario where I guess it's going to be a pretty balanced build for me this week because there are four guys in this range that I, and I'm fading the top two and a bunch of guys in the nines outside of Cantlay and maybe Finau. I am so all over this DJ Homa Hideki Lowry foursome. I just think that all four of those guys are going to be sub 12. I think you're getting the pendulum stuff we already talk all we talk about all the time with Max Homa, where the guy's getting penciled in left and right at LACC. And again, it's another situation where it's like, guys, I've played both those courses. Are we sure LACC is the one you want him at? Like, God, this is a good spot for him at this ownership. So I'm super enamored with Homa. Lowry, I'm curious to get your thoughts in as well. Hideki too, man. Hideki is Hideki has been such such a strong northeastern bent grass performer in the past, and I just think that Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson should be next to each other on the odds board. I guess that's kind of a hot take. People seem to think that Brooks is at this way higher level than DJ right now, and I don't. I, I think DJ is more likely to win this tournament than Brooks. And if you're telling me I had like a split feeling that, oh no, DJ wins Lev, he's going to be pretty popular. And then I remembered that no one actually saw him win Lev because Blackish was on instead. So I still think we're going to get a 10%, maybe 8% DJ. Yeah. Give me all the Hideki. Um, Fuck yeah. Love Hideki here. I love him in a tough, sort of tough test. I mean, that's when you like Hideki. When you only need minus seven or minus eight, I think he is live to drive the ball really well this week. Got a ton of fairways. I think he's a pretty good player of the rough. 
short game checks the box putter who knows right that's that's the big question mark with him we all know that but i like uh i like how he comes into this tournament and i like sort of the long-term profile in events like this i think he's got a pretty high floor frankly i think he has a decently high ceiling for somebody at this price range so i'll have a lot of hideki uh, particularly in high stakes where i think he can get a little bit neglected um lowry i've nobody's had more lowry than me recently i've a Lowry kick. Uh, the putter has been absolutely fucking horrendous. I mean, beyond bad. If he makes any putt at the Honda, I, I took second. I, I ended up winning the, the $20 contest. He just couldn't make anything. And then obviously he starts out his Masters by missing a 20 inch birdie putt. I mean, it's been a lot of that. And he's gotten, if you watch him, because I've, I've put my eyes on him a lot, there's some real demons, uh, snakes in his head, as my mom would say, about with his putter. When he misses one, you can just like, he, it almost feels inevitable. He thinks he's going to miss it, and then he does. Because he's Andy, like red. Andy Lack band in Dune situation. Yes. Big time. He's ready to do the thing with his hands where he sticks them out immediately. If you watch enough Shane Lowry, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where he's screaming at the hole the minute yeah. the ball leaves up. So that concerns me, but the ball striking's been great. Again, he just profiles well for tough conditions. And, you know, you could very well see him top 10 in this tournament without a sweat. Um, I don't know that I'd like him to win this tournament, but I do think he's going to be there. Um, and this is the kind of place that I want to use him. Not sure about DJ. I mean, I've just been, I'm going to have to get myself back to sort of thinking about him. As a have you ever golfer. been, a, have you ever been a DJ guy? I have. Yeah. I mean, who, I've, do you, who do you like more Brooks or DJ? Like, who do you just like forget money Forget chances at this tournament. Like if DJ and Brooks are coming down the stretch, who are you rooting for? DJ, for sure. Ten times out of ten for me too. Yeah, I've lo- like- I've always liked DJ. DJ and Neiman were the two. I've never liked Cam Smith, and I've never liked Brooks. DJ and Neiman were the two guys that went to live that I've always loved. So I've always liked DJ a lot. But yeah, that's the Brooks DJ dichotomy this week has been. F- fascinating to me it is interesting and i i'm with you on homa i think people have you know and i've been one of them i think i tweeted i don't know maybe two weeks ago when homa was really frustrating me i think i tweeted like is homa just a guy and i don't think that's true i think i was kind of in the moment when he couldn't make a fucking putt uh but he's shown sort of uh some tenacity in tough conditions um i don't know that i love him on bent necessarily is his best service but i think the ball Not striking poa is for sure but sure you know but I think Potomac. Like right I, mean, I agree and i think he's been good in tough conditions and i think he i mean obviously there's a question of him and the majors and when's he going to do it he will obviously perform well at a major eventually right mm-hmm. you want to be early or late to that party this feels like a really good spot for him there's not a lot of pressure on him maybe he's I mean, he kind of went through the height of his fame earlier this year, right? Coming off of the Netflix stuff, playing really well, winning Farmers, then in Genesis, he's in the mix. And I think there's kind of been a um, kind of a come down from that. Mm-hmm. So he's a little over the radar here, which is nice. He's playing okay. Obviously played played pretty well at the, at the Wells Fargo. I watched a, a good bit of that. He didn't necessarily have his best uh, stuff in terms of approach play, but got it around good. So I don't mind Homa here. I think particularly if he comes in a little under-owned, which I don't – he's just in the range here where there's so many guys that people like. I just can't see too many of them coming in. I don't think there's going to be a spike with any of these guys. I will go 
I, you know, I'll use Homa, uh, just one more key point on Homa as my guy that I'm totally in on. Uh, you know, you could plug DJ Hideki Homa or Lowry in this spot, but just to put a bow on Homa, I do think that from a climate standpoint, from the thickness of a rough standpoint, and from a strategy off the tee standpoint, from a size of green standpoint, from a consequence of big misses standpoint, that the golf course that people aren't talking about as much, that is very similar to Oak Hill is Torrey Pines. Especially if you look, if you're telling me to find a leaderboard of a recent major championship that is probably going to turn out the most like what we're going to see this week, I would probably give you the 2021 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, which was Rom, Brooks, Rory, Morikawa, Bryson. Like that were those were all the guys. My guy Harris English, three hundred to one. Those were all the guys that contended in that crazy back nine at the U.S. Open on Sunday at Torrey Pines. You know, Homa obviously won at Torrey Pines earlier this year. I understand the difference in agronomy on these golf courses, but you know, you want to talk about those cold mornings and thicker rough, and now with the removal of tree, a lack of consequence for a two-yard miss from the fairway versus a 20-yard miss from the fairway and how they're still you still have sight lines into these greens. I, I just I like that a lot. I I and Hideki was good there too at that US Open has been good good there well in general. I'll give you a surprise as the guy I'm absolutely not playing because he's been in my pool probably every time he's played for the last year. And I think he is the winner of Royal Liverpool this week, uh, this year, and maybe the winner of LACC too. A 12% Tommy Fleetwood is getting squeezed for me this week. I'm not playing Tommy Fleetwood this week. I just can't. I just, you give me Lowry at half the ownership and playing Lowry 10 times out of 10 and twice on Sunday. Um, so give me Fleetwood on, and he said this before, give me, give me Fleetwood on a sand-based, super firm and fast, wide open, room off the tee, windy Shinnecock and Royal Liverpool over a Parkland Northeast bent grass 10 times out of 10. So I am out on a 12% Tommy Fleetwood. Give me your quick out. And who would you say is your favorite? If you had to pick one as your favorite in this range, is it, is it Hideki? Um. Yes, it is Hideki. And I'll have a lot of Hideki. Um, somebody I'm totally out on. I mean, outside of Hatton, just for ownership reasons, that was yeah. kind of obvious. Um, I'm not going to. <laughs> There's a lot of this range that I am just kind of lukewarm on. I mean, yeah. obviously, I'm not going to have any Tom Kim, but that's kind of an easy uh, check off. I don't. I'm out on Sam Burns, which, you know, is not some sort of crazy hot take, but. I do think that he's going to, people are going to think he's like a cute place to pivot. Um, uh, you know, kind of had a win coming off the win of the match play and maybe a big game hunter profile one of these days. I don't know. It, it checks none of the boxes for me. Like, give me Sam Burns down south when it's hot and things are kind of fast and 
there's birdies being made. That's Sam Burns to me. Um, get him up north, thick rough. I just I can see things going sideways pretty quick. So I'm going to have no Sam Burns. Um, I guess closer to the top, you know, more going out on a limb a little more. I'm going to have no Jason Day. Um, I like Jason Day as a person. I think he's hitting it pretty well. Um, but at that price point, that ownership point, coming off a win, I could kind of see a little bit of a letdown this week. It's like a situational spot. We talk about like NFL handicapping sometimes, and just mm-hmm. that was it feels like a very emotional win for him on Mother's Day. You know, after such a long drought, and the family there, and kind of getting across the finish line, and now he's got to come back and muster up some form in the cold. You know, he doesn't. I don't like Jason Day. Anytime the conditions would be bad for Tiger Woods, they're also bad for Jason Day. Mm. Um, so I'm not wild about him at 8,900, which is so much. I mean, that, that, that he's almost there with our friends in the nines that we really like. So I'll I'll let you have my my Jason Day shares. Let's talk about the 7K and let's split it into two because I want to talk about like 7.5 through 7.9. And then I want to talk about like 7.5 through seven, because like, I do think there's like a bit of a drop off past, you know, the Wyndham, like it goes straight from. And I actually like Bryson way more than I like Wyndham Clark this week. But, you know, we're going straight from a guy who just gained 19 strokes in an elevated event to a YouTuber um, next to each other on the pricing. And of course, I'm going to play the 2% YouTuber. But of this seven of this, like 7.9 to 7.5, where we've got all these like, you know, the sexy I don't really think he can win, but I'm going to talk about him and I'm going to bet him top 10 and maybe bet him at a hundred to one, you know, the, the Keegan Bradley's, the Justin Rose's, the Adam Scott's, the Dick Fowler's, the Patrick Reed's, the Neiman's, the Corey Connors, the Taylor Gooch's, all those guys that, that people like, but don't really think can win. Who's your favorite and least favorite of that group? I'm kind of notoriously light footed on almost everyone in this range traditionally but i'll tell you i like adam scott i think i think he could come in a little bit lower on than anticipated because i think taylor moore is going to end up being more popular than people think and neiman obviously people want to play i could see adam scott getting squeezed a little bit he's obviously coming with great form you know he's going to hit it long and straight kind of you like him when you don't have to make a gazillion birdies uh i like him a little bit more on you know, bent grass than I do on some other services. So I like Adam Scott in this range. You know, my least favorite guy, just at his ownership. I think Adam Scott and Justin Rose are kind of the same person at this point, right? They're you're sort of aging superstars with nice swings, and they know how to play the majors. Um, if Justin Rose is going to be higher owned, I think I can um, I can leave out Justin Rose, and he won't be in my place. I want to take this opportunity to talk about Neiman, who. And I actually think like a 7% Corey Connors is interesting too. But, you know, Neiman is going to be 8-ish percent. He's won at Riviera before. He's won at the Greenbrier before. He's done a lot of great work on bent grass. He's still an excellent, excellent driver of the ball, though we have incredibly limited data from Liv, obviously. And he's been, you know just good enough on live where it's like, this isn't a huge concern, 
but not really popping to the point where he's still going to present a ton of value and a ton of leverage. I'm I'm in. I, I really like Neiman this week. I do. And I, and I think that for me, it's it's interesting where it seems like the people I, I actually see more opportunities to capitalize on live tour players down the board instead of up the board, right? Like I think that if people are using the narrative of like, oh, live super competitive and way more competitive than you think, then they're gonna be in on like Brooks. Whereas I'm like, no, I actually think there's real opportunity on guys like Harold Varner and Brendan Steele and and even up to Neiman and maybe Bryson too. So I like Neiman a lot. In terms of a guy I'm out on, uh, also on the live tour, Gooch can take a hike. I I mean, seriously, just, I'm fine. I'm fine on that. You know, this is a guy now, I mean, he's he's not going to be crazy highly owned. He'll be 11, 12% at 7,600. I like Patrick Reed way more next to him. If we're doing the live thing, than I like Gooch, but I don't think this is a particularly ideal golf course for, for Taylor Gooch necessarily. So I would say from seven, five to seven, nine, super in on Neiman, super out on Gooch. If we go lower Let's talk a little bit lower and walk me through what you're seeing from 7.5 to 7. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a big adherent to Bryson this week. Uh, yeah. Probably not. I like it. I mean, I, I really do. I do I think too. He's been playing okay over at Liv. He Good in the most recent one. Sure. I mean, obviously he's going to hit it a long way. We know that's going to travel here. He's got you know, major championship chops. And if anybody wants to talk about Wingfoot and Beth Page having a baby or whatever the fuck I keep hearing all week, um, it sounds more or less correct, depending on the, the mixture of those chromosomes. Um, he obviously played well at, at Wingfoot and and has the cheat code for blasting it all over the yard and then muscling it up to the green. I have questions about his short game and this is, well, not really his putter so much, but his short game. And I don't, it's hard to know how he's been chipping the ball over on fucking live. So, I mean, that's one of the problems with playing these guys is that, you know, who knows where Bryson's uh, skill set is right now. But I do know he's going to drive it a long way, and I do know he's going to come in super low-owned, and he doesn't cost very much. So I think you you have a very high ceiling there with Bryson, potentially, for a very low price. So I'm I'm in on him. He stands out. You know, I like the idea of Emiliano Grillo, but not if yeah. he's going to be the most popular player in this range. Like, absolutely. Hey, do, do you think so? I don't think that Grillo is half of Woodland and Sewell. Well, I guess going down. Okay, those guys are at the bottom of the range. I think that's right. You know, but I mean, between 7,500 and kind of up there near 7,500, he's certainly going to be more popular than Denny or Cam Davis, you know, sure. Paul Casey, all those guys. I do agree. I think Gary Woodland is where all the ownership's going. Gary Woodland is the sort of click that you need in order to make your lineups work. And everybody's telling you he's going to play well. I think he's just going to be the people, what people consider their little free square. And I think Siwoo um, in a similar vein. So I do think you're going to see tons of ownership there. And I will have none of that. I'll take my chances that Gary Woodland shows up looking like he normally does um, in these events. Uh, but, you know, Emiliano Grillo, I'm sorry. If he's going to come in at six or seven percent, I'm just I'm okay with with taking my chances uh, and letting other people bite that bullet. Obviously, you've been talking to Paris English. I've heard him mm. uh, talked up elsewhere before. Really, that's frustrating. 
not, and I'm not happy with you people for doing that. I had him starred pretty early. A lot, early. Of, a lot of take plagiarization this week. I've noticed yeah. it's a situation worth monitoring. It's it's cannibalization. Yeah. Um, you know, but Harris English, I like him here for all the reasons that you talked about. We don't have to rehash it too much, but I think he's. I've had him recently where he's been super low ownership. I had him uh, at the Wells Fargo, um, which is a place people didn't really think to play him, but obviously the approach play has been nuts. He's not driving it great, but that's kind of what he does, or I guess doesn't do. Um, you know he's going to putt well up here. You know he's going to chip it well. And, and I think he, I mean, surprising you at places you wouldn't necessarily expect, right? Wells Fargo, Arnold Palmer, like those aren't yeah. traditional. Harris English courses. Tory Tory U.S. Open top five. Winged foot top five. That's right. I mean, he's got a win at the at the Travelers, which obviously profiles well. Northeast. Kind of you know, I, I'm I'm in on that. He's played well at the Northern Trust. I mean, he's. I think he has um, something about Harris English in an event like this. I think he's a very steady, kind of steady player, almost like a stoic type player. He's played well at the Farmers too. Like you know. Just, going back a few years. So I'm okay with uh, with Harris English, and I don't think he's going to be too popular. The thing about this is if people don't ever play Harris English because they don't, you know, even if more people hop on this week, there are people who will still have their normal aversion to Harris English. So I, I think he's going to remain in that 3 4 maybe 5% range at most. Me too. Uh, and he'll be on my team. He will absolutely be on my team. I think that if we're talking... We're due for something super weird, Sean McKeel ask. Like, and you're saying, like, pick one guy that is this year's Sean McKeel or Ben Curtis or, you know, whatever you may have as a, as a long shot major winner. Like, this guy is holding the trophy on, on Sunday night. It's, it, I think it's Harris. I, I pick Harris English for that role. So, you know, the, uh, you covered, Bryson and Harris, who are my two favorites below seven. I would add Cameron Davis because the guy has the skill set. He's won on Donnie Ross before at Rocket Mortgage, which, you know, I say tongue in cheek because I, I think there's many, many differences to those golf courses. And I think Rocket Mortgage could use a, or Detroit Golf Club uh, could use a major, major uh, Andrew Green ification to it as well. But if we're talking about a guy that just from a statistical standpoint is a top 20 long arm, like a top 20 long arm player and driver of the ball in this field, like Cameron Davis does check a lot of boxes from a ball striking standpoint. If you're looking to get a really good ball striker that isn't Gary Woodland or Siwoo Kim in that range, I think you could do a lot worse then Cameron Davis. And then the last guy I'll throw out there too. Why not Mito again? Right? Like why not, you know, this is a guy that has at least shown that he, you know, has, he's been in the heat of the battle against some of the best in the world before. And, you know, at a flat seven K, I think he'll probably make my pool too. I don't like him quite as much as I like, English or or Bryson or even Cam Davis, but I, I do think Mito will make the pool. Anyone else in the seven K range that we haven't mentioned before we talk about a few guys on uh in the sixes? Yeah. 
like Seamus Power a lot. I've known Seamus Power a good bit here recently. The putter has been an issue. I haven't looked at the numbers. Let me check. But I've been following him very closely on Shot Tracker. Let's see if my eyes have deceived me. Um, okay, a little bit. He lost the stroke putting at the Byron Nelson, but we're positive in off the tee and strokes gained approach You know, in these last two events. I had him at the Wells Fargo. I think I remember his putting being worse than it was because he gained three strokes putting because he missed a three-footer that would have been for a very important streak. And I just remember going, oh, my God. And it seemed like he was hitting it to six or seven feet all day, which yeah. is probably part of the reason – well, that's been happening the last two weeks. He's had just six footer for birdie, seven footer for birdie. I mean, it's been over and over and over and over. So playing some really good golf and a little bit of sneaky major form, frankly. Um, going back to last year, you know, finishes in the top 10 at the PGA, played really well at Southern Hills. Also, I think he was in the top 20 at the U.S. Open at the Country Club. So kind of a guy who's starting to find it a little bit, obviously drives it a long way and hits it pretty straight. Uh, and I think he's he's got a ton of upside. He's going to make a lot of birdies. Um, a guy who plays par fours really well. I mean, doesn't depend on par fives to feast. Which you know, you're going to need guys this week. This is a sneaky thing that I've been thinking about. Is no, I mean, there's lots of guys on the PGA Tour who dominate par fives, and that's how they make their hay. You're not making mm. your hay that way this week. No. So you're going to need guys who can make birdies from one one eighty nine out, right? And that's not everybody on this tour. So. Power is one of those guys, though, right? I mean, you see him all the time, right? 312-yard drive, 189 in. Oh, we got six feet, eight inches for birdie. Not every time, but he's got a lot more of that than some people in the field. So I'm going to go there probably at seven, a flat 7,000. I think um, there's a lot of upside there. 6K range. I mean, I don't see – I think there is – I mean, do you think this is a – like a stars and scrubs week or, or more of a balance week. If you had to just, you know, at a macro level, just zoom out for a second. I think it's a pretty choose your own adventure down here. Right. If you're even going there. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out who the fuck are the people playing Matt Kuchar at such a high ownership. At this are they stop. really? That's so interesting I mean, to me. Projected. I mean, it depends where you are, but you know, some sites have him the highest projected guy other than Harold Varner in this entire range. I mean, I know he's been what playing people, well. What the fuck are people taking my Harold Varner shit? What, what's going on there? I, you, are an you are moving the market, sir. That is so frustrating. You little fucks. That's not fair. I, what? Okay. All right. D what, what next? You guys are going to take Brendan Steele too? Yeah. I mean, well, what, what, what down here are you seeing ownership? He's still with Varner. Like, what max six or seven percent? Six or seven percent. Yeah, okay. I think. I mean, I'm not enamored by really anybody in no, this range. It's hard to be. I, I like the idea of Robert McIntyre, but he's got some injury concerns. You know, everybody here. I mean, of course, if you're in the six K range, you, you're going to have a fatal flaw of some kind. Um, I like Mackenzie Hughes. To be honest with you, obviously flying high on that Tory leaderboard um, has played well at several majors. Coming off a Pretty good week off the tee, frankly. I mean, he didn't hit it great on approach, but played pretty well at the Nelson. 29th at the Masters this year. You know, going back um, last year, 24th at the U.S. Open um, at a, a tough golf course and finished 25th at the Travelers, which obviously has a similar profile. And even the Canadian Open, to be quite honest with you, is sort of a northeast kind of thick, rough, classic course. Some differences, but you know, these places seem to kind of suit him. Um, 
you know, he's finished sixth at the Open at Royal St. George's and 15th in the 2021 uh, US Open. So he's, you know, he's played pretty well at majors here recently. And I'll tell you too, he's had a lot of good form at the Houston Open, which isn't, I wouldn't call that a comp for this at all, but what it is is a sort of long, kind of difficult course yeah. with long par fives um, where you, you kind of have to be exact. That golf course puts a lot of long irons in your hand. Uh, and he played, he's played pretty well there a few times, uh, played well at the BMW and the Northern trust as a, a really good, just traveler's record in general. So I don't hate, uh, McKenzie Hughes here. And I know people are averse to playing McKenzie Hughes and I get into this too, right? We want ball strikers because mm-hmm. you know, it's nice and fun seeing guys hit it to 15 feet all day. But at the end of the day, I mean, you can sit there and get angry at it, but there are guys who put the ball in the hole and they seem to do it in a repeatable yeah. way. And who was, yeah. Who was in the mix at that U S open at Torrey Pines that I was talking about too. Mackenzie Hughes is right there. So he hits it in a tree, right? I mean, he was there yeah. late on Sunday. So I don't hate him at that price point, particularly cause he's going to be owned by you and almost no one else. Um, mm-hmm. so he's a thought, but I don't, I mean, looking down at this board, there's a ton of ugliness. Obviously Alex Norin somehow goes from being incredibly popular all of what three weeks ago. He's like 20%. Now he's going to be owned by no one at 6,700, you know, steel Svensson Barner. I mean, Nick Hardy, maybe I will say that I'll give away my, my other, um, guy like down here. I think Nick Hardy's had pretty good um, major championship form in a sneaky way. I think he was top 15 last year at the country club, which a lot of people don't remember. Uh, Obviously, yeah, good call. Yeah, he's playing pretty well. He hits it a long, long fucking way coming in off of a win where I think he he played just as well as Davis Riley did in that tournament. So you know, I don't hate Nick Hardy at that low price because I think he's... We, we see young players play well at US Opens, right? And part of that is because of the grind of just the tall rough. I think you're going to see a little bit of that this week. It's just tough weather, tough rough. I think younger guys are going to have a little bit of an edge because it's going to be a bit of a grind of a week. So I don't hate Nick Hardy. I wouldn't add much to what you said. Just to, you know, add a little bit on steel. I think that from a ball striking standpoint, you're getting a lot of what people are trying to seek out with Gary Woodland with Brendan Steele at probably one fourth of the ownership and $500 cheaper. I mean, Steele, if you look at his numbers on the PGA tour before he went to live and he's been doing fine. I mean, the guy lost in a playoff at live Tucson top five at live Mayakoba. He just finished 11th this past week and was the 36 hole leader at one point leading this tournament at, at, or maybe the 18 hole leader. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to tell. He was, he was leading the tournament at one point this weekend at, at Cedar, Cedar Ridge ranch, but uh, who can say uh, blackish season finale. It, it was uh steel steel does a lot of the Gary Woodland stuff that all you guys are clamoring for at 10%. So, and then I'll add Tom Hoagie as a guy that is 6,900 and mm, top seven long iron player in this entire field. Uh, if you just want to identify one skill set and say, hey, you know, how many guys in the 6K range can we definitively say are elite at something? Tom Hoagie is elite at something. And I think 
that can take him a lot farther from a skill set perspective on a course that's, in my opinion, it's going to have an incredibly low greens and regulation percentage. I mean, truly 4,500 square foot greens with 50% of approach shots from 175 plus. That is a low, that is a recipe for a low greens and regulation percentage. And there's a universe where Tom Hoagie does exactly what he did at Southern Hills last year and finishes ninth because he gained six strokes on approach. And it's like, oh yeah, like Tom Hoagie did nothing but gained six strokes on approach. And that was good enough for him to finish ninth at a major championship because he played like a top five iron player in the world. So I actually do like him, but I've got, I don't have anyone else starred down here. Rochester Rocket, Alex Smalley, um, shout out Duke, but you know, that's if you're just really trying to get funky, but no, I mean, that's probably it for me. <laughs> Andy, can I ask you a question? Yes, please. Who is the guy at DraftKings who decides which of the PGA professionals, the 20 or whatever, the guys who fold shirts? Who decides which of them is 6,100 and which is 6,000? Oh, God, I haven't even looked at these guys. Usually I know some of these guys because I'm a psycho who follows some of the PGA Pro stuff just because I've had some PGA Pros that I know be very competitive and trying to qualify for these things. Let me see if any of the usual suspects that I like are in here. You have to ask yourself, like, how does my guy, Kenny Pigman, come in at 6,100? But, you know, your guy, Braden Shatuck, how does he come in at 6,000? I need to know. I need to know what metrics we're using to price my guy, Penny, Kenny Pigman, at 6,100 above your guy, Braden Shatuck. My goodness, there is. Yeah, none of these guys are ringing a huge bell for me. The Ben Kearns, the Jason Dromers, the Anthony Cordessis. JJ, JJ Killen, our, our West Texas uh, Twitter uh, troll pro. Right. Uh, the guy who wants so desperately to be on live. He just hasn't gotten the call yet. Uh, he's there. Michael Block, I think, has been there a few years in a row. But he's up at 6,200. So if you really want to go with some bespoke high-end PGA pros, you can get to 6,200. <laughs> Michael Block. But I would prefer Kenny Pigman. At 6,100, a real value among the PGA pros. Okay. Another annual tradition. And then I want to do five minutes asking you about band and dunes at the very end. But mm. you're just, um, just in a vacuum, you're winner of the PGA championship, regardless of odds, regardless of DraftKings ownership, regardless of bets, whatever. Who wins this tournament? And one guy over 9.5 that is has 0% chance, absolutely not going to win this tournament. Can't be Spieth. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so I bet two guys. Kind of like last, the Masters, I bet two. I bet Rory and I bet Xander. I'm going to say Xander wins the tournament. Gives me <laughs> a lot of money. That's where I'm going. Big Xander guy. Shout out our friend Xander Legion. Ah, the best. Oregon. He's going to have a great week. I'm looking forward to <sighs> How that's going to feel for hell him. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. It's going to be good. Guy above 9.5 who has no chance. Let's see. Make sure I'm on the right. Who can say? Uh, Brooks Kepka. Yeah. No Missed that cut, baby. Let's go. Uh, Rory's my winner. You know, not backing down on this one. Peak stubbornness for me 
leaning in this week. Just really like just digging my heels into a point where it's quite problematic, both financially and emotionally for me. If, uh, if Rory doesn't deliver on some way, shape or form, there's still many ways for me to like, if Rory just beats Brooks in this tournament and everything else goes wrong for me, I'm up thousands of dollars. If Rory somehow loses to Brooks, uh, we may have to reschedule our next golf trip. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I, so Rory's obviously my winner just to go different from you. Cause you pick Brooks as one guy that absolutely is not winning. I will go Scotty Scheffler. That was my second guy. I almost, I almost clicked that. So we're, we're yeah. on my, yeah, I will say Scotty Scheffler's not going to make enough putts down to stretch to win this golf tournament. So that's it for us. So you went to band in what a week or two ago, just a, you snuck in at the 11th hour, gave me right. no notice, <laughs> but, but, uh, how, what was it like up there weather wise? And just give me the quick five minute rundown. Yeah, it was good. So I actually saw this week they had a 90 degree day. I shit you not. Wow. And that's, that just doesn't happen to Bannon. Of course, it was like a weird heat wave. We didn't get anything like that. Um, I snuck in at the last minute. I booked it like one week out. There was some sort of cancellation. I was canceling my October trip because my wife's going to be having a baby pretty much right when I would have gone. So another guy whose wife was also pregnant who was going to come with me on that trip, I I texted him and I was like, Hey, there's availability. You want to go? And he's like, uh, let me move some stuff around. So we had about a week's notice. I texted you cause we had a couple extra spots. I yeah. Like, uh, I got to extend the invite. We ended up getting one more guy to come. Um, so we had a good uh, three man trip, which was good. Weather was okay. It was kind of high fifties, a little bit drizzly. We got absolutely pissed on, on Bandon, uh, Bandon proper, like coming to 16. Like we had the rain suits out. I hit, I mean, it was perfect weather when we teed off. It was like 60 and sunny. We're like, Oh my God, what a perfect day. And we get to 15 and 16, it's just blowing. And I had like a, what I thought was a perfect drive, completely right into the teeth of the rain and the wind, and it didn't clear the bunker on 16. So that was what that wind was doing. Um, hit that about 150 yards. But we had a great trip, uh, mostly good weather, you know, good, good. The courses were in pretty good shape. They had just punched the greens. Uh, half the greens at trails were punched, which sucked, and they had mm-hmm. punched the greens at Brandon maybe two weeks before and they were fine. Um, they are kind of going through a transition period with the greens at sheep ranch. They're trying to let the POA take over like fully. And they're doing some sort of seeding that they were telling us all about. So the POA is like really coming in and those greens were already, the fescue just never took at sheep ranch. So the greens at sheep ranch are a little bit iffy right now because there's just POA taking over, but they're, they know that and they're trying to get it done so that those are completely POA like within the year. So that was good. Um, started off the trip, made birdie on the opening hole at Sheep Ranch, and my buddy had never been out there. He hit it to like five feet and made an eagle on his first hole at Bandon, which was- Ah, uh, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, great way. To, he's like, oh, I'm hooked. I'm in. So we had a good time. We got to play all the courses. Um, you know, we played a, we did a 49-hole day doing two of the courses and then the, um, the par three after. So we had a pretty long day, one of those days, but awesome, like, like usual. It wasn't as crowded as I uh, thought it would be. Um, so that. yeah, I would say it's, it's maybe a little bit easier to sneak in there if you're flexible than maybe we've given it credit for because like there was some flexibility. Like we moved tea times around a little bit once we wow. got there. Yeah. So I think if you kind of, my opinion now is that people have gotten it so in their heads that you have to book two years in advance. 
that now like when they have cancellations, people don't just like call up there to see. Yeah. Because, why they, right. Cause somebody usually, if you wanted to go there, you have a trip on the books for next October. So you're not thinking. So I would say if people want to go and you're like a little bit flexible, particularly from the West coast, like call and say, Hey, you have any like three weeks from now? Do you have an availability? Sometimes they're like, yeah, we got two rooms. And you're like, Oh shit. So anyway, great trip. Obviously, it, Bandon delivers every time. I have no bad things to say. It was just as good as every other trip, which is good to see. What do you think the demarcation point for golf trips during pregnancy is? What's the cutoff point? I feel like it's like final four months. Like you're just checking in if you're going to the s- supermarket. I don't think it's quite that bad. But I think it depends. Well, it depends on a few things. Kind of how the pregnancy's gone, right? If there've been right. like medical issues or whatever, that's different. I think she's cool with like I'm going to Vegas in July for the British Open to kind of bet and watch for the first few days. Um, that's kind of my trip that I love, and that'll be three months out. She's cool with that. I think once we get into like late August and September, it's kind of like don't be going somewhere that you can't get back. Like Bandon's tough because it's not easy to get back. Right? Bandon's tough. Yeah, because we're you, you thinking a- about the trip though. The October trip. I mean, cooler well, heads prevailed, but well, that one's after, right. So that's a little different. Like once the baby's mm. born, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a good point. What's yeah, worse, good. actually, going on a golf trip two months before the due date or two months after the due date? Probably. I would say, probably, well, I would say going two months before the due date, you could get away with, depending on your wife and your relationship and all that. Right. But going like a month after, not great because you're like, yeah you're like sacrificing time with your child and you're like new family in order to play golf. It's not a, it's not a great scene. I think your wife will have some needs, but I don't know. It's my first kid. I'm assuming she'll, she'll need some help and assistance, but we're going to Hawaii two like two months, two and a half months after. uh, Wait, where, where in Hawaii, where, which Island are you going now? We're going to Hawaii and then we're, we're spending some time on Oahu at a resort that we like there. Not at Waikiki, but kind of the other side of the Island. Is that the, I always get this mixed up. Is that that's is that Big Island? No, that's so the Big Island is just the Big Island, right? The island of Hawaii. Oahu is where Honolulu is, um, which is funny because it is the Big Island in terms of people, but you know, the Big Island is different. So, yeah. So we went to the Big Island last time. Played a bunch of golf. Great. Love the Big Island. It's probably my favorite. That's where uh, Nene is. Which I know. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. My girlfriend's got a place up there her dad's at nanea so i was gonna say maybe we maybe we coordinate that one and when are you going what time of year uh december so kind of between christmas and new year's hey anytime you want to get to nanea i I got a plane ready i got a a client (laughs) that i work for his uncle well he's a member his uncle's a member he's got a house out of four seasons uh on the big Uh, i love that hotel we've stayed there before uh this was years ago the first time i played nanea it's so gorgeous out there. Yes. Yes. Good place. All right, Kobe, you got anything to, uh, to plug this week, uh, before plug we get out of here, my friend? Yeah, actually I've started a new tout site <laughs> called, uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's, that's for the other people. I'm not a tout. Um, obviously follow me on Twitter. I've made some wonderful Twitter friends through this podcast. Yeah. Folks who, they really are good people. They're really good people. people. Yeah. That I interact with. I we were if we we're gonna have a daughter, we were gonna name her Rory potentially because our, <laughs> our yeah, the punter he's got a daughter named Rory, which I think is 
Absolutely precious. So I was going to steal it from him, but we're having a boy. So good people. Follow me. Debo's Defense, I think, is my Twitter handle. You're going to find out. Well, if you're in trouble in Texas, I guess I can plug that. I can <laughs> get you out of prison or jail, either one. So hopefully you don't need me. If you need me, you're having a bad day. <laughs> get to see you, Kobe. We'll do it again soon, my friend. Good luck this week, buddy. All right, that is it for the podcast. Special thanks to rickrungood.com. Special thanks to Kobe DuBose. We will be back on this podcast feed probably Monday night for a thorough and thoughtful recap of everything that I saw on the grounds at Oak Hill this week. Probably a little look ahead to Colonial as well. And one last final thank you um, for all the support this week incredibly incredibly humbled by all the people that tuned in um this is the biggest audience that my podcast has ever had broke all of my download records um on these last couple of episodes with O'Kill, and uh all of the sharing and the retweets on twitter and the kind messages um i'm glad i hopefully played some form of a role in helping you understand this golf course more hopefully making some money this week, or at least getting more out of your viewing experience of this PGA championship at a golf course that is really special to me. Um, and I hope you guys just as much enjoy just as much, whether you're watching it on television or, uh, or there in person. So, uh, a big thank you one last time, uh, means the world to me and, uh, makes these very busy, and stressful weeks incredibly worth it uh best of luck with your bets this weekend go rory uh and we will see you next time cheers if i ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream where my world steel rims crack and the dead center back roads stop